Interested in volunteering at future Sport Calgary events? Visit sportcalgary.ca to get involved. So today what we're going to do, and we did, we have taken a bit of a break. Um, so Rob has been intimately involved in the Active City uh, project, as you are aware of now, having done your project, your paper on it in uh, February. But Rob became very intimately involved in that. He's now a board member with Sport Calgary. Um, he became, he now works with the Calgary Hitmen. Um, and has, and he and I have, have formed a deep and, and, and uh, meaningful friendship over our love of Brett the Hitman Hart. Um, and so we're both, we're both wrestling aficionados and fans. And uh, last year, to Rob, Rob is the consummate event manager. So for those of you particularly who want to go into event manager management, Rob would be one of these guys that you're going to want to connect with. So he kind of plans all the special events for the, for the Hitman Games. And he did one, it was actually on my birthday last year. And it was where they brought in a wrestling ring. And at the end of the Hitman game, so Brett the Hitman Hart, uh, the name of the Hitman was, was after him and his wrestling, uh, wrestling name. They brought in a wrestling ring and they put it into the Saddle Dome right after the end of the hockey game. And they had a wrestling match with four, four matches. And Rob actually dressed up. Uh, had a mask on and he was the what was it what was your nickname i was the hitman avenger still am actually technically i haven't retired but i'm going to (laughs) and so he entered so he was in one of the anyways rob let me um volunteer that night at the saddle dome so i actually got to be the guy who let people into the ring to have pictures with bret hart so i volunteered to do that i had an absolute great time and then um, at the end of the game, I got to go down underneath and help kind of set up the ring and kind of get all the wrestlers ready to go out and do their matches. And so I, I had a, got a backstage passport. And it might have been one of my favorite nights that I've ever had. So I'm very grateful for Rob to allow me an opportunity to do that. Anyways. And you, ha- and you took it? probably one of the best phone videos in the history of phone videos, too. Right? Oh, as far as that guy jumping off the top of... Uh, the the I, sign. Uh, yeah. True. You were right underneath it. Yeah. This guy does this flip thing off the top of where the Zamboni comes out and landed on these other wrestlers. And because I was standing right there and had my phone out, I had like the primo primo visual of this guy doing it. It was fantastic. <laughs> it was. It was. Anyway, okay. Yeah. So, Rob. Yeah. So, I'm going to get you to press record. I have already. Oh, geez, you're kidding me. Yeah, well, only because the, you do these great intros and, and you say nice things about me. And I, I want to listen back later and hear it again. <laughs> So, yeah, I just gambled on it. So we've been recording. Oh, ah, yeah, we've been oh. recording. Absolutely. Okay. Well, anyways. So, so this is what? This is the fourth? Nothing. Is this the fourth one we've done with a class? Is this the fourth podcast? Yeah, Does that sound right? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm actually, I am going to take a picture. Okay. Um, so I can post this. All right, let me see if I can do this. Okay. And I, I'm going to do something action-wise so it looks like we're really kind of into it, right? Kleenex boxes. Got to get my hands kind of in the in the shot. There we go. Are you ready? I'm ready. ready. Yeah. Hey, I need one more. One more. Okay. Perfect. Okay, there you go. Okay, so we've solved nothing podcast. We've done I think four with this class in yep. particular. Now again, in a normal in a quote unquote normal year, um, Rob would have come to campus and we would have set it up in front of you, but we're going to do it this way. So you're you're a online uh, audience uh, 
to the audience for our podcast today. The, the topic that we're going to focus on mm. is uh, the impact of the pandemic, COVID-19, yeah. in case you haven't heard of it, um, and the impact that it has had and will have on the sport and recreation industry. And so, as I mentioned earlier, that's the final project for the students uh, to work on. Right. Is paper addressing just that. And so I thought you and I could kind of chat a little bit about that and kind of provide them with a bit of guidance, perhaps, and some ideas on things that they could uh, pursue. So that's my 15-minute introduction that I thought wasn't going to be recorded, but apparently was. I can edit um, it. It's fine know, to edit it. Yeah. And so, so students were asking me, I'm wearing, and so I am wearing my master's golf shirt today. Yep. Uh, this is my dad's golf shirt, actually. So my father passed away about 15 years ago. And in, oh, maybe 16, yeah, 16, yeah, 16 years ago. And in 2008, my dad loved golf and my dad had multiple sclerosis and was, he couldn't, he couldn't walk. So I, and I don't remember him really moving a whole lot, if I'm being honest, like he could move his head a little bit so he could talk. Um, and so my sister and I would, you know, take turns feeding him at night and, you know, getting him ready for bed and stuff like that. And we had this big Hoyer lift where we would lift him from his chair into his bed and onto the toilet and stuff like that. But my dad loved watching golf mm. and he tells me anyways that he was a very, very good golfer and I've got nothing to dispute it. And there was, you know, no iPhones back then. So I've got no evidence to suggest that he wasn't. So I'll just have to take his word for it, that he was a very good golfer. And, and sadly that has not passed on to me, but anyways, <laughs> so he was, he loved and he loved the masters. Mm -hmm. And so when he died, um, his dying wish was, that, you know, we go, that I go to the Masters with my mother and sister, and we kind of pay our last respects to him there. Um, so this week is always a very special week for me in that as I'm watching it, because we, so we did that the following year. So my mom, sister, and I flew into Atlanta and then drove down to Augusta, and we were able to get onto the course on the Monday, which is the one practice day that you're allowed to bring a camera on, which I think is interesting. All other days, you are not allowed to bring in a camera or your phone. Yeah. So you can't bring in any electronics uh, to the tournament uh, site on any other day other than the Monday. So my sister, mom, and I went down and we walked the entire course. Um, and we basically we followed BJ Singh actually, and he was doing his practice round and we paid my father his final respects on the course. And so every year when the masters is held in it's regular time frame, when the azaleas are out, um, I wear, I wear my dad's old golf shirt and I think of him. And so this is kind of a special, special time for me, but I thought I would start with that story, Rob, because that's, I think, an, an example yep. of how sport has been impacted uh, by yep. COVID and the pandemic. And so, you know, the Masters, as an example, you know, hosted its tournament in November um, this past year, and there were no azaleas. And, of course, now they're coming back into the normal schedule. And I think we just saw, you know, last week, I think the Texas Rangers, you know, opened their... On Monday, yeah, their on Monday. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Monday against the Blue Jays with a full stadium. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. A full stadium. We've got the Vancouver Canucks who have, what's the latest number now of players who have tested uh, positive? 17 players plus coaches plus staff is the latest, but that was yesterday. So that number is likely to change today. So the Vancouver Canucks season could be done. Um, yeah, nobody wants to talk like that. Uh, um, the, the way they're coding that right now is that don't know if they're going to be able to play the 56 games that they are intended to play. They're not going to play, obviously, clear through this weekend. So that's had an impact. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a fact of life now. And 
it, it's funny because this podcast will serve as a moment in time. Um, what we think, what we gathered, what we know will change greatly by the time we're back to a Masters in which people can go out on a Monday and can follow a golfer. By the way, I should throw out the kudos to you as well because it is uh, a green shirt day too. So you are actually honoring two very important memories uh, with Logan Boulay and the Logan Boulay effect and organ donations. So uh, good on you for doing that. Um, yeah, so, uh, you know, this has been an intro. It's funny you mentioned it. It chose to do the podcast this week, but, boy, there's been a lot of, you know, issues, you know, surrounding, uh, you know, lockdowns here in Canada. Um, that's going to have an impact. Uh, you know, as you mentioned, the Texas Rangers said, come on in. Now, they're going back down to normal levels or what we would consider normal levels right now, but they did, and I think we're all waiting to see what the two-week effect of that is is that is it a super spreader event you know what what impact did it have um i can tell you people in my business were watching that like a hawk on monday i think we were all kind of tuned in um looking for you know mask usage looking because the other part of this david and and you know this and i know this is there is continually data being created throughout this entire experience and a lot of that data is going to the consumer, going to the potential fan and saying, hey, how do you feel? Are you coming back? Are you not coming back? Do you want to come back? Do you, you know, how do you feel about masks? And those numbers are, you know, up and down and representative. And I know when, you know, groups like mine, like when we're doing our planning for next year, we're trying to get a handle on what the feel is out there. And then you see Texas, who did not sell out, came very close, but did not sell out which I think is a little bit interesting, um, who was there. And, and I, I think we're also, you know, I think we'd be negligent if we didn't recognize that we're kind of living in a moment in time when it comes to social justice and social issues. And the pandemic has kind of become part of that, especially mask wearing in the United States and things like that. So that was another thing I think we were all kind of paying attention to on on Monday. What's mask usage like? And And I think the general observation was, okay to good to start and then by mid game it was beginning to fall off the face of the earth so hopefully a little bit of information to be gathered there well and i yeah i think to your point people are watching and and guessing um there's no roadmap there's no plan from which to follow which which is in part why i wanted my students to work on this paper as their you know yep uh pseudo final exam because i think as they go you know particularly into summer jobs or, and, and most of them are in their third year right now, so they have one more year of academics and then they're in the, you know, the, the professional world, but it's going to have an impact um, on how they do their business. And Rob, I even think about you and your experience with the Western Hockey League, yep. you know, the men, you know, playing at the Seven Chiefs Sportsplex yeah. um, on, on Sutina. I think, I think the Red Deer Rebels are, I think all the players are living. They're living, the, the, the Rebels are living in the building. Um Lethbridge is in, I believe, Lethbridge College's dorms, and then Medicine Hat and Edmonton are both using billets. And that alone is, you know, that whole process is is an interesting uh, piece in all of this, that connectivity and that connection. Uh, mental health becomes part of it. And I, I know, you know, I, I know talking to Red Deer and I know talking to the other teams, they're concerned about it. But I can tell you it's f- first and foremost on our minds that we, you know, our kids are all staying out at Gray Eagle. So part of our deal with uh, Satina was kind of, you know, the arena plus the creation of a bubble. Um, 
and it, it's a challenge. I mean, you know, it, it's all fine and well to go away for a week and stay in a hotel, but now our kids will have been in Gray Eagle since uh, Valentine's Day. So just think about that for a second. Like, you know, that that's a while ago, and they still have another month to go. And they're not allowed to go out. They're not allowed to, you know, just mingle and, and that type of thing. We're trying to find external things that we can do with them to get them out of the rink, stretch the legs and that sort of thing. But again, yesterday's news, you know, as the crackdown comes down, here we are back again. So, you know, this particular group is interesting to me, your class, I should say, because they entered this program in a, in a world of sport that was defined in one, you know, in certain parameters. They're going to exit your program in a world of sport that is going to be completely different. And some of it actually, i got to be honest with you, and we, I'm sure we're going to get to it. There's a lot of good that's going to come out of this, believe it or not, in the, in the sport context. Uh, but there's a lot of hurt. There's a lot of pain that we're going through and going to have to go through yet, too. So, we've, yeah, we've talked a little bit about kind of the professional side of things. Yeah. So, you know, your experience with the Western Hockey League and now the div- the dividing of the provincial boundaries. I guess Manitoba and Saskatchewan, you know, is another Yeah, merged. Yeah. All together. And in the U.S., you know, grouping, too. We've talked a little bit about, you know, the NHL and Major League Baseball and kind of the impacts the code have had there. And, you know, we could probably spend some time talking about, you know, from the professional ranks, how having sure. a, a North division, which I admittedly really liked initially there. I, I feel like I'm getting to the point now where I would like to see a little bit more variety. Um, and I guess I could if I, but, but I, I'm not tuning into the American teams. I'm only yeah. tuning in. Isn't that an interesting, isn't that an interesting one, Dave? Because um, you mentioned my resume before and, and they were really short staffed over Christmas. So I went back and did some morning shows on the radio station and it was just at the time when they announced kind of the North division and, and it was really palatable. Like this is the best can't just be this year. This has got to be it moving forward. And I, I don't, sometimes I, I don't think we think things through, um, you know, having gone through this a little bit when Bob Nicholson went to the double IHF and came back and said, guess what? Every second world junior is going to be in Canada. And everybody went, this is the greatest thing. The world juniors in Canada, Canada, Canada. And I had the audacity to say, yeah, but Part of it is, you know, is it too much of a good thing? Is it going to have that same cachet? And and I think over time we found out, you know, when you get too much of it, it doesn't become special anymore. And not that Edmonton wasn't special and won't be special next year for the World Juniors, but look at Montreal-Toronto back-to-back those two years. They had our time selling the second one, right? And I, I think mm-hmm. you're seeing that kind of, yeah, it's a great idea, it's a great idea. Well, when your team is crappy or, you know, <laughs> sick or – you know, whatever, it's, I think people enjoy it, and I think there's something to be said about elements of it, but I I don't know. I found it a little creepy in a way that Sportsnet was paying for promoted social posts showing a survey that said 70% of hockey fans loved it. Why do you need to promote that? Why would you put money behind promoting that? Whereas if you were trying to convince people that it is, it is, it's still good, it's still fun, um, you know, I, I think Edmonton and, and Toronto and Winnipeg probably love it more than, you know, Ottawa, Vancouver, and, and Calgary right now. But that's an interesting one to watch. And, and again, one of the things you mentioned about the Masters, the Masters was only played five months ago. We played a Masters in the fall. We tried it. 
right? We have games in the bubble. We've, we've played games without fans. We've, we've tried adding more teams in baseball and things like that. Kudos to anybody in, in a sport like that that tried something different, that used this opportunity to, to experiment. And I don't begrudge the NHL for putting a North division together. I'm just not sure at the end of the day that I, I'm like you. You know, I'd, I'd kind of like to see some other teams come through. I'd kind of like to see some other other games. So it it that's another part of this legacy will be the the opportunities that we took to try things. One of my one of my students just posted in the chat function, Rob, that the Flames could use a game or two against Buffalo. Um, so so let me ask you this. So let me ask you this. And and I'm gonna I'm gonna okay. Yes, I work for CSEC. Yes, I used to be the voice of the Calgary Flames. All those sort of things. So yeah, it's you know. I, I get it where I'm coming from, but I'll ask everybody else's exactly how hard it is right now for teams like Buffalo and, and Calgary teams when, when it's not going well, that's the one thing that nobody's talking about. And th- this is not an attempt to uh, somehow curry sympathy for professional athletes. That's not it at all. This is not a money thing, but I'll tell you right now I'm watching. I do. I'm doing the American hockey league games too for Stockton when they're at home. So I'm around that a little bit, and I'm seeing our guys a little bit. Uh, both the Western Hockey League and the AHL do not look like they're going to have playoffs. So you're just playing games for the sake of playing games. That's all you're doing. In the NHL, you know, there is a playoff component to it. But you're on – literally the life is you come, you get tested, you practice, you go home, you stay. You come, you get tested, you practice, you play, you go – you know, you, you get on a plane, you get on a bus, you go to a hotel, you get on a bus, you go to the plane. There's – the things that we take for granted and have taken for granted in the past are not there. And I look at a team like Buffalo, I look at a team like Calgary, and I can't help but think how much of not being able to pull themselves out of a negative spiral is beginning to affect their mental health. And, and I'm worried about, I got to be honest with you, I'm worried about the American Hockey League kids. You know, it's one thing to worry about the NHL players, but those American Hockey League players, uh, for instance, Stockton is playing an unbalanced schedule, 11 home games, 19 on the road. Um, so they go out on the road, they're out there for two weeks playing eight games. Well, two or three of their players were put on the taxi squad by Calgary, so went out with Calgary before. And then got picked up on that road trip. So you got some of your premium players who have now been on the road for three weeks. And on the road, again, bus, hotel, rink, plane, that's it. So the, you got guys who are in their bedrooms going at 7 o'clock, do I go to bed now? So there, there's a, I think there's a, an unspoken challenge out there. If, if it goes bad, it can go bad real quick, real hard. No, I, I, I agree. It was interesting. So I was talking to somebody not too long ago about you know, whether or not teams that win championships this year have an asterisk beside them. And I actually made the argument that I think they do, but it's, it's in a positive yes. way yeah. in that they're able to kind of push. So I, you know, I'm thinking about the women's NCAA championship yeah. on Sunday night with yeah. Arizona and Stanford and Stanford was, because if I recall correctly, I think California canceled all sporting events just when the Stanford season was starting. And so I don't think they played home, a home game. Yeah pretty much since December or something like that. Right. Um, and so they they basically went on the road from December and ultimately won a national championship on Sunday night. And so I think they deserve an asterisk, but I but almost for wow, how did you how did you pull this off? Like, well if you, you actually Yeah, if you together? talk to people in the NHL, they'll say the exact same thing about Tampa Bay. That that became a war of attrition. It really did. And and you know, we talk about things like mental toughness and we talk about, you know, that will to win and those sort of things. And again, 
I, I recognize who I'm speaking to, so there's not going to be a lot of people who are, you know, their hearts are breaking over million-dollar athletes. But the reality is, you know, all athletes, I guess, in all levels, I think of the Olympic athletes and the trials and tribulations. So you have just gone through this pandemic. You, you have not been able to train in your own country. You've had to travel. You had to be in quarantine for 14 days a dozen times to go and go down a, a luge tra- track or a bobsleigh track. And all of a sudden you read the AP story tomorrow that the State Department in the U.S. is discussing whether or not they should boycott the Beijing Olympics. You don't think we're going to have mental health issues coming out of this yeah. thing? And, right. those, and those those are games that come along every once every four years. So if you miss if you miss the one games, it probably means you've missed the games. Correct. Um, Correct. You, you you could age yourself out. Absolutely. So lots of and, and you know, you talked about it. So let me go there. Let's talk about youth sports. Let's talk about, you know, what's happened this year. It's it, collectively it's been far reaching. Um, we had a situation in which, you know, we wanted to put children back into school in the fall but in an attempt to protect them we wanted to ensure that you know outside users weren't using the school so guess what because of cleaning costs and because of covid precautions we wouldn't allow rentals of schools well who who gets impacted that volleyball basketball indoor soccer we've had this this great um kind of freezing of development and and just participation uh, you know, I think of our mutual friend Kyle Schufeld and his gymnastics club, which has had to be closed, right? Um, you can't have kids running around. My particular world involves, you know, hockey and, and getting young players involved and inclusion issues and things like that. It's hard to create inclusion. It's hard to create opportunity when you can't get out on the ice in a meaningful way. Um, you also, the flip side of that is people are resourceful, Dave. Like one of the things that you know, hockey is concerned about is people realize that this year that you can go snowboarding, you can go skiing, you can go elsewhere. And I'll, t- I talked to many hockey parents who just did not miss the coach putting the guilt trip on Well, little Johnny can't go snowboarding. We've got to practice this and he's not a team player. If he's not at practice, there's a lot of that that's going on too. So, you know, uh, we're going to come out of this and, and youth sports is going to look a lot different. Um, and the other thing that I, I think it has drama, uh, dramatized and certainly drawn attention to, and, and I would imagine within the, the walls of this, this group, there's probably people participating in it, the for revenue component of youth sports, the people that are in it for high performance and extra coaching and all of those types of things, this, this last two decades, last decade in particular, in which we've seen this real creation of a, a sub-economy in terms of you know, for, revenue, or for revenue generation around youth sports, that has, in some ways, taken a hit. In other ways, it's become, you know, even more popular. I can't get my kid on a team, but I can hire him a skills coach, so we can go sneak out to this barn and we can do that. There's a lot of things that are going to come out of this past year, and I guess now turning into the second year, that are going to have long-term ramifications on facility usage, on participation levels, and, you know, it comes back to active, active city. Are we going to be as active as we were going in? Yeah. Okay. I, yeah. There's there's a lot to unpack. There, but I want to begin. <laughs> Sorry, I've been holding off, you. waiting for a podcast. <laughs> Rob, we're going to solve something today. I no, I doubt it. I doubt it. Sense it. Um, you mentioned the physical activity piece. I do want to come back to yeah. the impact on schools and youth sport and this whole idea of the, you know, the the sport industry, industrial complex, et cetera, yep. et cetera. But let's, let's focus a little bit just now on physical activity. Yeah. 
And I, you know, like when you're doing a SWOT analysis, right, every opportunity is a threat and every threat can also be an opportunity. Yeah. Um, you know, do you think, you know, parks were over overrun with people? Um, you know, there was great success with what Banff National Park did as far as closing down the Bow, uh, the Bow Valley like Parkway. Road yeah. and, and Parkway and allowing people to cycle. There's, I think there's been some great success with even closing down Memorial. Um, yeah. You know, parts of Memorial and allowing it to become pedestrian friendly. Uh, I, I think there's lots of examples, you know, even to your one about snowboarding. <clears throat> and so ski hills, for instance, golf courses last summer and already sure. starting to open. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Full, uh, presently. Will that continue, do you think? Or do you think that will that continue to expand? Or did people take a pause, fill it with something else, and then we'll go back to what they did normally? Or will people have changed? Will, you know, will patterns of behavior have been so ingrained now that we will, like, I think my wife and I fight over whose turn it is to walk the dog because we're just, sure. just want to get out of the house, right? Yeah. I mean, I think if, if anybody's benefited from this, it's been dogs. Um but will that will that change or will that stay the same? Do you think? I, I think it's I, I think it's naturally going to um, ebb and flow. I think it changes. I don't. It's it's like anything else. It's like a wave crashing against the, the rocks, right? There's a lot of water and then there isn't, but some water stays. Um, you know, you, you use the example of the backcountry. Um, you know, the province was forced. You know, politically, they had to change a, a, a plan to close some campgrounds because of. You know, the usage. Now, I think there was a lot more people in the backcountry. There's a lot more people out in Banff. There was a lot more people hiking last year and probably this year than there has been in the past. Now, some of those, once you can travel, they'll, you know, they'll go on their, you know, destination vacations, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but I do believe a lot of people will stay out there. I, you know, again, I think Hockey Calgary is just from families who just felt like, you know, we're out of it. Um you know, we, we don't like the schedule the way it is. Um, now, you mentioned opportunity. Hockey Calgary's position, because their biggest growth league is their house league, which is one practice, one game a week, standard times. You don't have the rotating schedule. So you mentioned it. Opportunity is there. If I was a um, uh, an, an outdoor experience operator, I would be capitalizing on this. This is when you, you to me, is when you build your company. Um, you mentioned the, the, the infrastructure is really interesting to me. Dave, because it, a lot of these things would have never happened without the pandemic. It just goes without saying. But I'll tell you this, man, I did going to Banff last summer and having that main street closed down. I really mm-hmm. did. I, I just, you know, I enjoyed it. I, I you know, I thought it was great. Um, I think you look at the, the roads in Calgary when they closed them last summer and the pictures that they would take, people are using them. Um, and again, I keep referencing that, you know, connection point, which is Active City, but you know, as you look, we're going through this civic election. It's going to be interesting to see if these pieces that were put into place become election issues. Are we, are we going to have the public talking about we want more open spaces like this? We want, you know, Saturdays to be able to walk down Memorial and, and that type of thing. I absolutely I think there's, you know, it won't be 100 percent. I think there's probably more people doing things today than there will be next year. In, in terms of outdoor pursuits and stuff like that, but it'll certainly be up from where it was two or three years ago. If that makes any sense. Yeah, well, and I, and I wonder at the micro level, for instance, I mean, the city of Calgary had a couple of golf courses that they wanted to shut down, I think because they were just, they weren't economical. But I wonder if they were smart to, to sit on that and wait, because perhaps 
it does turn around. Well, that um, that might be the that might be the kind of the Achilles heel to my whole theory is is golf is was that sustainable? What we saw last year, I thought that was a reaction to nothing else was open, so let's go. And kudos, there's a great example of an industry that did themselves no harm. Like they worked their tails off to put themselves in a position to come back. You know, they did a lot of politicking and a lot of, you know, uh, uh, um, you know, kind of promotion of themselves to politicians, and and mm-hmm. they created that. And, and I think it caught. But I don't know because of the cost associated, the cost that can be associated with golf is that long term viability. I think it might have stemmed that curve that we've seen we've certainly seen a curve uh in the last decade or so of people moving away from golf golf courses starting to close i think that helped the gap but i don't know if last year's level will be the same level this year as it will be next year sort of thing right okay um you, you know you talked about the political acumen of the yeah. golf industry and, and i would concur um you know when i've when i've been on calls with other sport recreation groups that have tried to you know, encourage the provincial government in particular to perhaps, you know, we, you, you mentioned Kyle Schufelt earlier, and he's yep. certainly very active on social media, questioning and asking the provincial government why a facility like a gymnastics facility would be closed when a golf course would be open. And the golf courses, I think, were very good at com- coming together as a collective and presenting their argument and, and, again, bringing other people into that question. But a, a question from a student here, I think, relates to that. Um, and that's, you know... Like, the reason why the government seems to target fitness facilities um, as opposed to, for, you know, for instance, the golf industry, as opposed to shopping malls, Mm -hmm. um, as opposed to, you know, the Costco's and uh, you know, the Walmarts of the world. And in particular when fitness facilities, and again, this was the student who mentioned this, um, you know, the benefits to people are so significant. And, And we, we started off this conversation talking about mental health challenges. Yeah. Um, and I and I would concur. And I, you know, you, you think about the long term impacts of this pandemic, and just how difficult it's going to be for us to foresee what those impacts are. Right? Like we won't fully understand them for probably another ten to fifteen Oof. years when we try back and say, ah, oh, this is how you know it's had this long tail. Like like for instance, I, I was talking to a, a somebody who's involved in um, in in young young children and their education system, and they were they were pointing out. You, know, you think about babies who aren't seeing people's faces yeah. um, and not being able to react to strangers and, and people other than their parents. And they're growing up in, in an isolated world uh, at a very formative and important stage in their development. And you wonder about the impacts of that. So I, I want to come back to this idea of the fitness facilities closing. You know, like why, why would the government, like, and again, I know you're not a spokesperson for the provincial government <laughs> um, and we should probably all be glad for that. Um, but why, like, why would why would the fitness centers bear the brunt of this as opposed to other other groups? Do you think? Well, I, I mean, I, my hope is that there's some science behind these decisions that a has you know hasn't been released or b we haven't consumed correctly. I wouldn't defend the decision. The one thing I would say, though is and I can speak specifically about arenas and things like that it's a challenge to have people follow rules it really is like it's it's fine and well to talk about everything in a holistic manner that assuming there's a hundred percent buy-in but I can tell you that arenas were not you know there were a lot of issues in arenas 
Um, up in Edmonton, they actually asked their arena operators to physically clean the ice, get off the Zamboni, and then walk through the stands and physically ensure that people were six feet more apart. So they literally had to do that. Um, we've seen it every time there has been a reopening. Um, we've had coaches letting players in through back doors, parents. I- again, and I, that, I'm not saying that's the reason, but let's take a total look at this thing. Now, I know we have people here who work in gyms and things like that. I'm not pointing my fingers at gyms. That one, to me, it's indoor versus outdoor. I think that's part of the element. Um, and I think at the end of the day, it's, you know, I hate to be that guy. But I wonder about the decision-making in terms of mental health versus economic health. You know, who do we impact? And the, the shopping mall one is a really interesting one to me because, you, you know, uh, I, I, it's indoors. It always, anytime that, and I haven't, I, I haven't ventured in very much, but anytime I go in, I don't feel comfortable. Um, you know, I feel for all the small business operators. I, I think there's a lot of things. Um, that go on there. I I just worry sometimes, you know, that the data that whoever's making the decisions has is pointing them in a direction that it's, you know, maybe we should, maybe we should target this group because it will have the least amount of economic impact as opposed to right. the totality right. of, of where we're going to be in five to 10 years. Right. The pushback and the political fallout is going to be less. Yeah. It's the lesser. I, I, lesser I, I can speak a little bit to arenas because I know like, you know, I hate to use the term, but I feel like a COVID cop at Hitman Games. But, you know, we have a responsibility to keep everybody safe. And we have a responsibility to, um, you know, do the things that put, you know, again, when you have a, a, a group of young men who's staying in billets versus a group that's in a bubble, you know, they're, you know, versus scouts that are coming in to watch versus me, uh, people that are coming to broadcast the game. You've got a lot of different intersecting groups and you need to protect those groups. Um, you know, the, you're going to have transmission wherever you go. And it's, I feel like every politician has had to talk about this. I'm stumbling and bumbling. Nobody's ever clear cut ever said, ladies and gentlemen, here's why. Right. But I do know that there have been some abuses and in, in small abuses that maybe have led people to go, well, it's just not worth our trouble. Yeah. Right. Hey, I want to build a little bit on. So one of my students made the comment here um, about people moving to working out at home. So the transition yeah. of, you know, the Pelotons, the Zwifts of the world. Uh, and so exercising at home, as opposed to going to the fitness center, you know, at Mount Royals recreation center, et cetera, et cetera. And I wonder if what we're going to see is a bit of a, I, I don't know if you remember the book bowling alone, um, which, you know, talked about this. Okay. Oh, I'm only laughing because it's gotten to the point where now I found celebrity bowling on Amazon. And I watched that from <laughs> 1974 so if you kids want to have some fun, why, you know, go back and watch Jack Klugman bowling against, you know, some other 1960s wannabe for a half hour, and they made it sound great. So celebrity bowling, look it up. It's gotten to that point. It's gotten well, to that anyways, point. So, so Putnam was the author, and this is a book called Bowling Alone, and yep. it, was a, it was a discussion about American society and how people were becoming more isolated. Mm-hmm. They weren't gathering at the local pub they were sure. sitting in their basements and this this goes back 20 years probably um i should look up when this when that book was published but i what i'm wondering is if that accelerates that or, or reinvigorates that concept in today's context and so 
you know, my wife, I think, worries every now and then that I'm turning into a bit of a hermit, um, you know, because I work from home. I, I, I work out at home. I, you know, yeah. there are times it's like, have you left the house, you know, in the last three days sort of thing? And, um, you know, d- does this accelerate that issue? And then, you know, where does sport and recreation have a role to play uh, in perhaps re-engaging us and, re, you know, encouraging us to get out of our, that mindset of being okay being alone well it's it's as soon as i hear being alone are we alone because you know 20 years ago 10 years ago we couldn't have done this right now we're tired of this i want to be alone i don't want to get up at 8 30 and listen to david leg talk i want to be (laughs) alone but here i am right um you mentioned peloton that There is the other, and I talk about the positives that are coming out of the pandemic. And when I say that, I hope people understand. I I don't look at this as, I'm I'm just saying the things that are going to come out of that, that are going to be moved, and technology is it. And I think we're beginning to solve, maybe solve is the wrong word, we're beginning to find ways. Technology always seemed like that item that was going to isolate us even more. Geez, little Johnny's gone off and he's playing his Game Boy. Sorry, dated myself. You know, little Lucy's taking her iPad and now she's watching Netflix or whatever. We, you know, as long as you and I have been alive, there's been some sort of demon. My God, that color TV, those kids in the color TV, you know, oh my God, they went to the arcade. Oh, they're all going to become mass murderers because they played Defender. Um, all of these things. It's always, there's always been that, that kind of demon in the bottle. And I'm wondering now, um, that to me is the big thing coming out of the pandemic is technology. You talk about mm-hmm. facility management. You talk about uh, we are going to have to move to a paperless world. It's not out of the realm of possibility that you might go to a venue like the Dome and never go into your wallet for a, do- uh, to- uh, a loony, a toony, or a $20 bill again, right? That you would never actually physically hold a paper ticket again. That um, you will then be able to get the things you want. Um, I, I would point our friends here to MLSE who I just found out recently has an incredibly large digital lab. And last week, MLSE launched uh, two second screen experiences, one for the Raptors and one for the Leafs. And part of that, part of their mantra is community building, using these, these things to build these communities. So technology, David, I'm wondering if because of the pandemic to alleviate the problem of not being connected, now, I'm not talking about physical connection, and I think there's an argument to be made that there's a value in physical connection. But I think now, as opposed to two years ago, I look at technology as the great divider. Technology has been forced into being the great uniter. Um, you know, and uh, this platform, I don't think we want to be using it daily, but I'll tell you, in my business, if I'm going to sell season tickets or if I'm going to sell an experience and I can get Jerome Ginlaw on from anywhere in the world and bring them onto a platform and have certain clients and customers interact with them for a half hour. There's value in that, as opposed to flying Jerome cross-country into your city, putting them up in a hotel and putting... uh, There's there's something to be said about the kind of the technology boom that's going to be a result of the last year and a half. Yeah, so, okay, so let's let's continue on that thread then as far as the impact of technology. We're a couple of threads behind. I don't know if you know this, but... Yeah, I... I... <laughs> hey, we just picked up where we left off. What can I say? We got to we gotta save. We have to save a few topics yeah. for our next, our next podcast. Exactly. Um, yeah. 
So let's let's build on this idea of technology and, and how it's going to, you know, potentially, I guess, uh, enable yeah. um, and facilitate, you know, the benefits of sport and recreation, but it could also have a, a negative impact. And so we, we talked about, you know, at the professional ranks, and, you know, your concept of, you know, dealing with, uh, you know, like the premium experience for season's ticket holders, sure. the idea just sure. the, of the facility management um side of it we talked a little bit about you know you were kind of talking about how when we were young you know young men going to the arcade in our hometowns and how our parents were worried that we were going to become crack addicts and absolutely you know and other deviants my dad owned Uh, two arcades so i know i'm very familiar with that whole argument oh absolutely (laughs) um and so what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to tie it back into our, our conversation we had earlier about youth sports. Yep. Um, how does, you know, and again, I, I guess I'm, what I'm looking for here is, you know, for our conversation to talk to, to my students. So, you know, people who are going to be graduating a year and working in this, yep. you know, industry yep. as far as programming for, for young people. Yep. How do you, how do you integrate technology do you try to avoid it do you try to divorce yourself from it do you try to somehow bring it into the activity itself where do you where oh do you i got i got a great one for you i really do and and you know i i'm uh, i'm a big believer in in just getting people playing i i'm i feel like elite sports is fine that we make too much out of it hockey canada spends way too much time on the Elite kids, not enough time on just getting kids to play, but that's a, a, a different topic. But this one, even I had to admit, was really cool. I mentioned MLSE. Their digital labs launched an app for Toronto FC. And that app uses uh, virtual reality and alt, uh, alt, um, AI, or uh, not artificial intelligence, augmented reality. And so you can download the Toronto FC uh, football app. And you can participate in the same drills that Toronto FC players do. You just need to go out to a field with a soccer ball, and your phone will create those templates. And then you can take those same physical tests that the Toronto FC take. And then we'll take your numbers instantly, and we'll put them on our leaderboard. Well, how cool is that? People, kids around the world can participate in this and get out. They can be active, and they can be on the leaderboard. Yeah, well, guess what? The leaderboard goes back to Toronto FC's um, academy. And they then take the best results and go, hey, we just saw you did the shuttle run in this. You ever thought about soccer? Toronto FC will become the first professional team in North America, in the world, to open source a player. They're going to open source their first player, right? So when this group comes out, they've got to start looking. Like I look at Hafiz and what he does with his app here in Calgary, right? Um, Play City. Play City, thank you. Um, and the technology that's already around in this city. To me, it's about shaking off the old white man syndrome of, oh, this is bad, and finding out a way of making this good. I'm not enamored with the fact that Toronto FC is going to use this as a recruiting tool for their academy, but I love the fact that they're creating something that can get kids out and being and trying to be competitive. Um, you know, geocaching, uh, like Pokemon Go. Man, that... <laughs> That, to me, should have been, is the revolution in, in mirroring physical activity and digital and, and that technology. That needs to become a thing, right? That needs to be part and parcel. So, to me, it's, it's about being unique and innovative, using technology, getting kids active, 
we've got to stop lecturing and start giving them reasons to combine the two and, and, and bring them back into being physically active, being, bringing them back into outdoor spaces, hardening them up, you know, letting them fall down and fail. There's another thing we don't do well enough. I'd like to build the fail app where people just learn how to fail properly. There you go. That's a freebie. Any of you want to graduate and need an idea, just create the fail app. Love it. So, Rob, one of my students made the comment that in the past decade, you know, the idea of multi-sport participation has been pushed. Yeah. You know, moving away from the single sport uh, focus. Do you think the pandemic and, you know, the quote-unquote break um, will help move that further along because parents have seen children outdoors playing uh, perhaps in non-organized ways and then perhaps recognizing the benefits of free play yeah or do you think or do you think you'll see a return to that industrial sport industrial i i, I worry we don't don't you think like i think we return like it's funny uh, you know when you see social media posts let the kids play but it's some guy that charges you 500 dollars an hour to you know like yeah you're really genuine about that um this would have been a great i think we missed a great opportunity here I really do. I think we missed a great opportunity. To, we, we tried so desperately to bastardize the sports and, and get them back in some level where we should have probably, hindsight being twenty twenty, just paused and said, you know what? Hockey, you're not going to have a season this year. Play four on four. Let the good kids play with the bad kids. Don't separate them. You know what I mean? Just let kids play together. Let the, the you know, let the cream rise to the top, let the other kids chase the good kids for one year. We'll get back to normal hockey next year. We'll have evaluations. We'll have all those sort of things. And guess what? You're done in February. Let's get outside. You know, coaches, grab a a soccer ball. Hey, you know, soccer, could you work with hockey? Could you guys? We really miss that opportunity. We really miss that leadership. Um, My concern about multi-sport participation is, A, it's, it's critical, but B, it's also become kind of a buzzword and a catchword for different organizations. We're into multi-sport. Everybody should play multi-sport. You should be multi. You should be a multi-sport athlete till you're five years old. What? <laughs> you know. You know what I mean? Like that's that's my concern. Is that the complex, as you mentioned, and it's a good the industrial complex around amateur sport is so big now and so important. Um, you know, and I include academies in that. Like academies were not an issue ten years ago. They are a going concern now. Super leagues, rebel leagues. Uh, you know, we're tired of the way the league is money managing us, so we're going to go out on our own. Those seem to be trends that are not going anywhere. Uh, you know, the 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 value and the perceived value in developing a professional athlete or high performance athlete greatly outstrips, in many ways, the cause and the need for taking a group of kids and just having them be active, having them be. Um, uh, physically literate. The, the crazy part in this and the part that drives me nuts is I have yet to come across anybody in high performance sport, anybody in the National Hockey League, in the CFL, in Major League Baseball that say uh, specialization is the way to go. But we don't get it. We don't, we, we, <clears throat> again, you know, I keep speaking like we're a moment, we're in a moment of time in social change. And things are happening for the good, but why is it taking so long? And I feel like multi-sport is that too, is that, yeah, it's all a, a word that we talk about, but we had this great, we had this great opportunity. If we had leadership, 
somebody in sport that stood up and said, you know what, we're going to do it differently. This year's going to be different, so we're going to do it different. And this year, you know what, you're not going to be on the ice every week. You know, sometimes you're going to take a soccer ball. Sometimes you're going to take a basketball. Sometimes you're going to do this. Sometimes you're going to do that. The challenge there is you have too many people in places of power that go, if we do that, we won't have the 2021 group ready. The Americans will have the 21 group ahead of ours. We won't win this particular tournament. We'll lose that particular tournament. We, we just stopped making decisions for the greater good a long time ago, and, and we needed to get back. This was a missed opportunity in my eyes to get back to greater good to, to do something like that. Yeah, I, that's a very interesting observation, Rob. Um, and wondering, yeah, if we did miss an opportunity uh, to, to make some really dramatic and meaningful, important changes to our system. Um, I, there's another question here. And so the examples that you threw out, you know, soccer and hockey, those are all team sports. Yeah. I wonder if, the, you know, and then this was a question from a student, whether, you know, individual sports actually see a bit of a bump um, because parents, I'm thinking particularly with sure. sports, parents are still reluctant to put their children into team sport environments. Do, you know, do some of those individualized activities actually see a significant uptake? Well, don't you? Yeah, I mean, I, I think we touched on that. Like, you might have a greater pool for Alpine Canada in a decade. You might, you might have a greater pool for, you know, cycling Canada in, in a decade, mm-hmm. um, you know, the individual pursuits. I, you know, again, you come back to the challenge of the sports that need coaching and or equipment or facilities. You know, I think that all got, you know, kind of hurt this past year. But uh, I think if anything else, the independent mindset might be bolstered in all of this, that I don't need to do what the Joneses are doing. Right. Like, I don't, you know, golf, you know, whether I think, you know, golf continues at the pace it is. A lot of people played golf. My guess is, you know, a lot of families and fathers and mothers would like to get their kids out playing golf. Does that mean there's more kids back in the system? Absolutely. Um, that will be one worth watching in the next little while. Uh, I, I look at innovators like Erica Weeb, who shares her physical journey as she prepares for the Olympics and I think maybe paved the way for people who thought, well, I don't have a gym or, you know, how am I going to prepare for something? Here you have an Olympic athlete who was sharing on social media the adaptations and the ways that she made to prepare to compete at the highest level. Um, again, back to technology. How many Zoom calls were made available? How many athletes were made available, um, you know, to people? And I know we're talking about individual sports, um, but I think the parents and the athletes that, that took advantage of it are going to benefit from it. And I think you're going to see um, increased athlete uh, pools for, for some of these things, not for everything. Um, But tennis is interesting, right? Like the tennis center, the tennis center can only have one-on-one training. Does that, does that maybe benefit somebody that there's more opportunity that way? I don't know. So in the same way that you're seeing this, this growth in, uh, basketball and they and they label it the Vince Carter effect when yeah. he started playing the Raptors maybe you know 10 15 years down the road we see this uptake in performance in some of those individual sector sports like alpine skiing cross country skiing tennis perhaps cycling golf, et cetera. yeah um so what i guess what i'm wondering though the, the flip side of that then is this, we have all these kids who are playing these individual sports um do they do they not learn then how to play nicely with each other 
um, and to, you know, to interact with other people and to connect and belong and somehow just engage with other people? Do they lose You're that talking about leaders. You're talking team? about leadership. You're talking about the, see, okay, so crazy old man on the Zoom call, I guess this is a Google Meets call, is going to go on to his next big passion play, which is it's just leadership. And I think if you look around sport, if you look around the world in the last year, we have separated managers from leaders. And the one thing that we have definitely learned is we do not have enough leaders. We have way too many managers. And sport, to me, remains the ultimate tool and, and creator, incubator of leadership. And uh, I think leadership is partial to mentorship. Um, I think we have incredible, we've had traditionally an incredible backbone in, in sport that's been made up of volunteers. Um, you know, I, I the disconnect... Um, Perhaps, but I look at the groups that took opportunity, and one all one I'm really really proud of is um, the North Stars. They have uh, up in the Northeast Calgary. The North Stars uh, approached me in the in the fall and said, "You know, we, we've been to some of the leadership stuff you've done. We want to do some stuff in the community. What can we do?" So we set them up with our superheroes program, with Kids Sport, and with the Sports Equipment Bank, and we took their Bantam, their uh, Midget. They're peewee, they're, uh, sorry, they're, they're bantam, they're midget, and they're junior players. And paired them off with these different groups. And the idea was that they'd be able to volunteer and, and well, the pandemic didn't allow. But these kids and their parents found a way to adapt, and they raised money. So our bantam kids raised over $10,000. So they'll add a new superheroes team, uh, a hockey program for uh, players with cognitive disabilities, autism, and downs. They're going to add a third team in Calgary. They raised enough money to start that. The uh, midget players uh, have been doing individually specialized equipment drives for the equipment bank to get equipment that was missing to put back in the system. And the junior players were raising money to sponsor kids and kids sports. So there have been opportunities for the good coaches, the right programs and everything to foster that leadership, that mentorship, to take the off ice and make it meaningful. Um, and I know that's happening in soccer. I know that's happening in basketball. I know that I look at a guy like Akeem Haynes and I know he's doing that in track and field. So those, those things are out there. Um, but I think just the fact that we were so distant, I, I believe it is hard to kind of make up some of those things and, and create leadership and create, you know, teamwork and things like that. Uh, as much as I like this format for some things, I, I don't know if you can do it as well over a, a call like this. Right. Rob, I'm, I'm conscious of the time um, and that the class is kind of coming to an end here. And so <laughs> we, we, need to, we need to wrap up this conversation, which is sad to me, because I always enjoy uh, our opportunities to chat. Uh, it's great to see you again. I, I hasten to say, but I don't think we solved anything again. No. Um, well, no, because you never let me finish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's my fault. It's your it's fault. My fault. It's your fault. That we solved. We solved nothing. Rob, it was a pleasure having you as part of our class. Thank you again for joining us. Thanks. I look forward to doing this again. I appreciate it. I, again, ultimately, we've solved nothing.